2: Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out.
1: This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Steven Magic, the podcast. Comedy is back in Las Vegas. We're excited about it. Some of those great comedians on the Strip and around the area are back working. And one of those we want to make sure you go out and see is Brandon James. He's at the Jokester's Comedy Club inside the Alexis Park All Suite Resort. Brandon, it must feel good to get back on stage after uh, this uh, unexpected timeout.
2: It does. It does. And uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I just want to say thank you to everybody. It's, uh, it's great to be here. But uh, but yeah, we're we're very very excited. Uh, I could not be happier to see uh, what's happening right now uh, in Las Vegas and uh, around the country. Entertainment's back, so.
1: Yeah, thank God. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, I want to talk about your history because I think you have a really interesting background. You grew up as kind of a heavy kid at the time in North Dakota, and I'm thinking that had to be tough, right? Because I grew up that way, and I know. Kids aren't exactly the friendliest for that. How do you go from that to becoming a comedian?
2: You know, it's, I've always said, I, I feel like when you grow up fat, you get funny. I think that's the way it works. <laughs> and uh, for, You know, for me, that was certainly the case because, um, you know, yeah, I was kind of that kid at the lunch table that would, you know, I'd tell the funny stories and, and you know, I'd have a lot of people kind of gather around. Uh, at the lunch table. And that kind of became my thing and, and my way to kind of make friends. And, uh, you know, there there can be some advantages to that. So uh, I think it's one of the biggest reasons, actually, that I do comedy now.
1: Yeah. And, and I think when you when you have a weight issue, people are looking and so forth. What better way to fight back than with comedy? People like that. And they're looking at you in a whole different way.
2: Absolutely, because uh, I, I, you know, I knew I wasn't going to impress anybody with my you know, abdominal muscles or something. You know, I didn't, <laughs> that wasn't me. So uh, for me, yeah, that, you know, being, being funny was kind of the way that I would connect with other people.
1: Yeah, and you were kind of what George Carlin used to talk about, the class clown, right? Because we all remember that, and, and those kids were really funny and kind of through the, the doldrums of getting through uh, first grade, second grade, all the way on up to high school.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's just that's just kind of the way that I was, and um, that's kind of the circle that I've been in. You know, most of my life is I, I just uh, I love hanging around comedy and comedians, and um, you know, just to be near the comedy is is kind of my happy place. It always has been. So.
1: Well, yeah. You started watching shows like Saturday Night Live and stuff like that, right? Is that kind of where you got the bug for it? Go, I I would like to do this.
2: It was, it was, you know, because it wasn't like I was out, you know, dating girls or anything, you know, so was chubby still. And, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't the guy that went to the prom and, you know, homecoming and stuff like that. I was the guy that was at home. Uh, yeah. You know, watching SNL, watching, uh, you know, people like Chris Farley, who's one of my biggest heroes, because, you know, he was a big guy and, uh, you know, he really used that to his advantage and, and made an entire career out of that. So to me, that was very inspiring at the time and, um you know, yeah, that's that's just always kind of the way that I've been. So,
1: well, you know, it is sort of true about like Farley. I'm thinking, or even John Belushi was. You didn't think of him as, oh, that's the the big comedian. That's just a funny guy, and that's because they were so talented. Was that one of those things too? Because you're kind of graded on a different level. Suddenly, now, who's the person that really makes me laugh?
2: Absolutely, yeah. It's you know, it's it can be an advantage for sure.
1: Well, tell me—you know—when like, did you realize? Because you're doing this, you're getting laughs. It's your way of uh, getting attention and so forth. And then you, you head off to UNLV, which is great. We're happy you came out here. But when did you decide, like, you know what? I can actually do this for real and get paid for it?
2: You know, it's—it's it's interesting. I—I I actually, uh, yeah, I had—I got a regular job. I went to college, all those things. And you know, when I was younger, I used to think, you know, well, I—I I need to get a a serious adult career, you know, that's kind of, you know, what we're all sort of raised to do, right? Nobody's, you know, taught to follow their dreams or anything when you're young, even though I wish we were. And, um, so I, that's kind of the path that I was on at that time. And I, again, I've always loved comedy. So I would write these jokes, you know, uh, I had no idea what I was ever going to do with them. If anything, uh, you know, I, I can recall so many times pulling up to work you know, at my normal job and I would have an idea and I might just, you know, record that idea into my phone or or write it down in a sketch pad or something really quick and just kind of file it away. And then I would go into my job, my normal job, and, you know, nobody would ever know, you know, it was like I was almost like a secret comedian or something. And I went to graduate school and when I was done, I was burnt out and I just thought, you know what? I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna go for it. I don't know what's gonna happen. But I got to do it. It was just this thing inside of me. It always has been. So,
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and it's more than being, like you say, the funny guy. Because if anybody's ever seen an amateur night, you realize how really hard it is. Because these people are funny when they're talking with their friends and stuff and people laugh and so forth. You get up on stage and you hold a microphone. <laughs> and, and, and was that one of those things where you did it, it was hard, and you go, all right. I, I, I'm i going to keep working at this because it's obviously uh, anybody that thinks it's, it's easy, you know, go ahead and try that sometime and see how that works out.
2: <laughs> yeah, comedy can be very, very humbling, uh, certainly in the beginning. And it definitely was for me. Um, you know, some of the best comedy advice I've ever heard is if you want to get good at comedy, you got to get up there and fail, you know, yeah. and uh, believe me, I did. I, <laughs> I failed like a champ many nights. So, um, but, you know, as a lot of uh, comedy mentors and such have told me over the, over the past few years, you know, if you haven't wanted to quit comedy like 10 times in your career, you're not a real comedian, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So.
1: Well, I got to ask you, so you're up there, you're trying different things. What was the first either joke or series of jokes that really clicked and you go, okay, <laughs> this works, you know, despite all this, all the groans or all the, you know, people ignoring you, you get that one either one joke or one series of jokes one bit that just clicks and, and, and kills
2: um, so I, I've always liked to write about things that are are true to me or, or somehow based in in my own life experience in some way um, you know perhaps like an embellished version of those things but they're things that are rooted in reality and so one of my first jokes that really kind of seemed to Connect and catch on with people was, uh you know, a lot of my life. People, for whatever reason, I, I guess because I, I look clean cut, I'm very nice to people. Just really believe in that, and people would always think like, for some reason, they they go, "Hey, man, like, you know, are you are you Mormon or something?" <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I was just really friendly, and I'm not Mormon. And so I used to have this joke that I go, you know, people think I'm Mormon, and it's like, what, you know, a like guy can't ride a bike in a shirt and tie, you know. <laughs> And I kind of developed that into a bit about how people always always think that and assume that you know about me, and uh, it just kind of it just kind of clicked, and so that's one of the first uh, jokes, one of my earliest jokes that uh, you know seemed to seemed to do well. So I was happy.
1: Well, yeah, I think people kind of root for you. I mean, we'll send them to your website so they can see it, but. Again, you're kind of unassuming. You walk out, yeah. You you look like the guy, uh, the guy next door. You know, nice guy. It's not uh, uh, you go. All right, make me laugh, which kind of makes it tough on you. But I I think they kind of start rooting for you, Brandon, right away when they see you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it just wouldn't be natural to me. Like you know, so many of my of my comedy heroes were you know guys that were on stage wearing like the like the leather jacket and you know, they, they kind of had like that edge about them. Right. And I used to think that that's what was cool. But if I tried to do that, that just wouldn't be natural for me. You know, that just isn't who I am. So, you know, I go up there in a, in a button down shirt and, you know, I, I shave for every show and, uh, I just, I just be me, man. That's, that's kind of my, my style up there. So
1: well, yeah, and I think people see through that. I mean, you think of the the dice clay stuff and Sam Kinnison and all those great acts, but there was only one of them. And if somebody else tried to do that same thing, pe- people would pick about that right away. I mean, you got to be able to sell it, right? Is it part of what you're, you know, of of who you are? And, and if your thing is okay, you know, let's talk about something. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld made a great career out of just observing things that we all see.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, too, you know, uh, along those lines, like the first few years of comedy, you know, you, you kind of try to do what you think you're, you're quote, supposed to do mm-hmm. instead of doing what's true to you, you know. And, you know, at first, that's kind of what I would do. But now, you know, after several more years in, you know, I, I really try to just do what feels natural to me you know, and, you know, have my own style and, you know, my own original Uh, Material for my life. So,
1: and is there a point in the career where you just start feeling comfortable up there? Like, you know, I mean, you you always knew that's kind of where you were supposed to be, but then once you get up there, okay, this is where I work. I I would imagine it it comes to that part, and that's when you can kind of get away from kind. I hope this doesn't fall apart. To like, okay, let's sharpen, let's get this tighter, let's uh, you know keep and 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 really pay attention to the response you're getting for each joke.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always said that you know, the the first couple of years, you want nothing more up on that stage than to have that validation from the audience. You know, you just you want nothing more than for them to laugh at you, and if they don't, you know, you just come off stage feeling like oh, I don't I don't know if this is for me. So you want to kind of prove to yourself first that you know you can do this. It's for you. You're capable of getting laughs. But after you stop needing that validation from the crowd, that's actually the point that I think, you know, the potential for something really interesting and original to happen up there, you know, begins. Because you don't really need that validation. You've got it already. You know you can do it. Now yeah. let's do something original and interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. And how is playing Vegas? Because I would think the one nice thing about Vegas, I could see – People are in a good mood when they're here. On the other hand, though, up and down the Strip and people coming in, there's a lot of competition, too. So is is this kind of a fun place to play?
2: It is. It is. And it's really unlike anywhere else in the country um, because we have people from everywhere in Vegas. You know, you don't know what kind of crowd you're going to come out to every single night, every single show. Um, You know, I, I work a lot here at Delirious Comedy Club, for example, Mm-hmm. we do very often there are three shows a night 6 8 10 and because it's vegas every one of those crowds 6 8 and 10 p.m. is all unique because there's people from anywhere and everywhere and it's it's totally unique totally different than anywhere else you play in the country so it's it's an interesting thing yeah
1: now I think that's kind of interesting. Like you say, is there a big difference between the, the late show and the 6 o'clock show? I mean, do you find like the, the, uh, you know, the later show they've been imbibing a bit and uh, consequently uh, they're looking for a different type of humor? Or is it pretty much the same across the board?
2: Um, I would say the late show, yeah. They're, they're definitely, oftentimes anyway, especially if it's a weekend show, they're kind of ready to party at that late show. You know, second show Friday is is notorious, of course, for being a little unpredictable. You're not sure if they're going to be, you know, tired from working during the week or if they're going to want to party because it's Friday night. But, uh, yeah, I would say the earlier show, we tend to get a little bit more more of a senior crowd. Um, You know, so sometimes, you know, you want to make sure you're a little bit cleaner at those shows. But still, you know, I've had plenty of 6 p.m. shows where (laughs) they were ready to party at 6 p.m. Let me
1: tell you. Well, yeah, you know, and I've always wondered, Brandon, do you do like a, a, in football terms, do you audible up there sometimes where if you go, wow, these guys are getting into this type of humor or they're, they're a little bit more rowdy than I anticipated, let me pull in some of that material, or is it pretty much everybody gets the same thing and uh, just it uh, hope hope it works?
2: Um, I've, I've kind of gone to a place where I try to be uh, a little bit of a chameleon, so I do kind of adapt based on what they seem to want that night. I mean, it's still, in general, um, you know, it's my act. I tend to be, a, you know, a pretty clean comedian. That's the way I like to work. I work clean primarily. But, you know, I do keep a few <clears throat> a different kind of jokes on the side, you know, for certain nights. If, if they seem to prefer a certain type of humor or something, then, yeah, I might kind of go that direction,
1: you yeah. know. There's a bachelor party in town or whatever, or that kind of thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what happens.
1: It happens. Oh, I'll bet. You know, it's it's kind of fun, too. I was looking at some of the people you played with, and these guys like Joe Rogan, who I'll bet you you'd like to learn how he podcasts, because I, I don't know how much money he makes but uh, and the huge audience he has. But when I think about guys like him, Kevin Nealon, Daryl Hammond, do you like um, try to pick up on some stuff with them? And it must be kind of fun, too, because they're all different, and it's all different styles than you have, and you guys can play off each other.
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, any time that I play, you know, uh, with I, I do a show with a very, you know, famous comic, or especially, um, even if, even if it's not a comedian that maybe is like a household name, but just has been in the business for, you know, 30-plus years, you know, something like that, I always hope that just a little bit of that magic, just through osmosis, being around them, kind of rubs off. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the greatest things in the world. And, you know, comics to me, seem very unique in that so many comedians I've met who, you know, were famous and were very well-known, um, especially, like, at the Comedy Store, for example, in L.A., uh, a lot of times they're much more down-to-earth than I expected, you know? You, you, mm-hmm. It's a little intimidating, almost, to meet them sometimes at the show when they they come walking in, but so many comics have have uh, you know famous comedians have been so kind to me and and so you know encouraging and so it's just it's a very unique and and special community you know the stand up community so
1: yeah and that's it's good to hear that I'm glad to hear because there is a certain camaraderie only they know what it's like they've been there they know what it's like to step up there what you guys do is really uh, a unique and very difficult in the way type of job you know people talk about it's hard to go and be an ad professional athlete. Well, yeah, it is. But what you do too, a lot of people would be scared to death. I know like my, if my father could see what you do, he couldn't stand up for two seconds. You know, he's a very confident guy, but you put a microphone in front of him and boy, he'd fall apart. So I think we really admire what what you do and to make people laugh. It's not, it's not an easy thing.
2: I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. And you know, it's, I know. I think it was Dennis Leary who actually said you would have to be borderline insane to want to get up in front of a crowd of people, and not only speak to these people who are complete strangers to you, but now also try to entertain them and make them laugh. You know, it's some nights it's it's not unlike going in front of a firing squad. You know, depending on the crowd. (laughs) So, um, but you know, it just there's at the same time there is just nothing better, and I've told so many friends of mine who are not comedians that at the same time there's nothing better than just making an entire room of people feel great, you know, if only for an hour or, or less. And, you know, that to me is, it's worth everything. It's worth the struggle. It's worth the, you know, all the travel that can be involved. Um, you know, I, there's so many times where, you know, in comedy, you're not always, you know, paid that much to do the show, if at all. And it just, it, in the end it doesn't matter because to make people feel that good, you know, especially during difficult times, uh, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. So,
1: well, yeah, and it, it's fun to watch that because you can – if you've ever been to a comedy club and you see somebody who's just killing up there and is picking up, it's fun to be part of the crowd. You know You, you know when somebody's on top, and and sometimes – I love going to comedy shows because you maybe you haven't heard of this person and you find, wow, that's some great stuff. I, ne- I never would have heard of it if I hadn't gone to this club, so I think people really need to go out to Jokester's. and uh, So tell us, what are you playing out there? What, what nights can we find you out at Jokester's Comedy Club
2: over at Alexis Park? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I am uh, the house MC right now at Jokester's Comedy Club, but uh, it's at the Alexis Park Resort here in Vegas. Uh, Alexis Park is located right next to what used to be the Hard Rock Hotel, uh, which I believe is now the Virgin Hotel. Right. And we're there every night at 9.30 p.m. And I, I, you can also find me at Delirious Comedy Club, mm-hmm. which is at the Downtown Grand. That's here in Vegas, too, near Fremont Street. And we're there every night at eight and ten, and also Friday, Saturday, we're there uh, at an additional six PM show as well.
1: Brandon James, a very funny guy, you'll love his show. Trust me. Uh, let's tell me your website too, because you can always uh, at least keep an eye on what you're doing and so forth
2: through that. Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me at brandonjamescomedy.com. Uh, I've got my bio there, and uh, you know some different information about shows I've done, et cetera. So. Uh, Yeah, check out BrandonJamesComedy.com.
1: Yeah, and thank you. It's nice to go to a a place where I don't have to figure out maybe misspell it or something. Brandon James is exactly like it sounds. Brandon, thank (laughs) you so much. Really enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, come on out to the show. Uh, We're having a great time.
0: E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com, training.epsilonxr.com.
2: If you love great sound, you'll love Oont's speakers. Oontz has been making great speakers for over 30 years and now they've developed these cost-effective, great sounding Bluetooth speakers. Meet Troy, one of the idea guys. Hey, Troy, how can I get these? With two-day free shipping, go to theoontz.com. T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Be seen, be heard. Go to theoonz.com, that's theoont
1: zgovernor Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home, and I've got just the place to help you do that. The place to go is baseball cards and bobbleheads, where they are always buying. Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads has over 35 years of experience buying collections of sports cards, memorabilia, bobbleheads, toys, action figures, comic books, Hot Wheels, Star Wars, movie posters, and more. If you've collected it, there's a good chance they'll buy it. No collections are too large or too small. Call Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads at 310-534-4180. Or text them pictures of your collection. That number again is 310-534-4180. That's 310-534-4180. Baseball cards and bobbleheads, 310-534-4180. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.